And good morning. I am the aforementioned Dave Mitchell. It's good to be with you, and we're excited. Sometimes things get in the way. We want to see the flow of God through our lives, those things we want to pursue, and sometimes it's like a hose. We get sort of that kink in there, and it just isn't working the way we want it to. And so we have this series we call Simplify. We have this journal that if you don't have one of these yet, we would love for you to get one. There are some in the back there. We'd love to have these in your hands as well because it's for the entire month, all five Sundays of January. We will do this on occasion where we'll take a booklet like this and map out the entire message series, the follow-up steps that you could take, the opportunity to journal and respond to it, and uh, use this in a topical way. And this topic is simplify. After this, we'll get into God's Word in a different way. For example, the book of Ephesians. We want to spend chapters 4, 5, and 6. And so we look forward to the opportunity to grow in all those ways. And we've had the opportunity already to hear two Sundays ago on Simplify in terms of Sabbath rest so that we are not totally exhausted of our schedule. And then last Sunday on, on this whole Simplify in terms of our time so we're not uh, filling it up with all kinds of clutter of, of activities, but we can have, again, that simplified life where life seems much more peaceful. This morning we're going to talk about simplifying in the area of possessions and finances. I know it's just exactly what you wanted to talk about this morning. You came, I hope Dave talks about my money, because I just can't get enough of that. And so it's exciting to be part of that. Somehow I was the one that was stuck with this message, but I'm glad that I have it, because it's an area that is a great concern and an area that I'm growing in and appreciate all that God teaches me on. So if you have this, we're on page 10 in the uh, Simplify Your Finances and Possessions. You will find this to be a handy tool as we engage on this topic. This last week was an interesting thing that happened in the area of the news as we simplify and think about our finances. There was this guy, I think his name was Ethan Couch, I think it is, and uh, he was arrested. As you can see at the very bottom on CNN, it says he was arrested uh, a number of months ago now uh, for drunk driving and he killed four people as he drunk drove and his lawyer had a, uh, a tactic of using a new disease called affluenza, affluenza. He said, this lawyer said, you should release him on probation, which he was, he was released on probation, didn't serve any time, because his parents were so rich and they spoiled him and he had so many things that it just sort of distorted his life. And because of all those things that he had, he couldn't help himself, but he got drunk and he drove and he killed. And the judge says, oh, okay, yeah, I get that. Yeah, yeah, we shouldn't make him suffer anymore. So this affluenza is something that we will, might struggle with here as well. This acquiring of things. Here is the definition of affluenza. It is the bloated, sluggish, and unfulfilled feeling that results from efforts to keep up with the Joneses. And so if your name is Jones, we all want to be like you. So think, think wonderful thoughts about that. It is uh, the epidemic of stress and overwork, waste and indebtedness caused by a dogged pursuit of the American dream. It is an unsustainable addiction to economic growth. We are driven by it. I remember it wasn't, uh, it seemed like it was, it was over 20 years ago that we came here from livable, lovable Lodi 
And yes, I'm still referencing that wonderful place where we used to live up near Sacramento, San Joaquin Valley. And when we moved from Lodi to Orange County, there was this sort of, sort of this culture shock of busyness. You know, when I came, when we were driving on the freeways, there was traffic jams. And you forget what that's like after living in Lodi for 10 years because it takes us 10 minutes to get from one side of the town to the other side of the town. We never thought about traffic up there. And then when I drive on the 55 freeway and I looked around the town where we live in Tustin, I see cars, Mercedes-Benz and, and BMWs. And there were so many I've never seen so many of those models of cars because when you lived in Lodi, it's a Chevy truck or it's a Chevy Ford. And uh, that's, that's what they are, a Ford truck or a Chevy truck, I can't even remember. But uh, they're all farmers up there and they're pulling all these wagons of grapes to go to the winery. It's just very different. And you sort of felt this, this, wow, we're entering into a very stress-filled place and there's lots of money and there are people that are acquiring things. This affluenza of never quite having enough. I want to talk about how to simplify, but here is what my goals are not and what they are. My goal this morning is not to create guilt, shame, or coercion in terms of our finances. If I cause you to have guilt or shame as you walk out of here, I have failed in my job. It is not that you have too much or too little. All of us are in a different place here this morning. I'm in a very different place than many of you who are just into college or just getting out of college. You got your first job. And I know that there is a big difference in this world in which you and I live in. But I'm not here to say you're making too much or you have too little and you should earn more. That's not the goal. The goal is this, that we would all simplify that we would find the freedom and the peace that God wants in our lives because we manage well all that God has entrusted to us. So if we can get to that place, success. That's what we want, to simplify. And simplify is not complexity. Last week you saw this slide. The opposite of simplicity is not complexity because a lot of us are in different places. There's some of us in this room in the first hour as well where life is very complex because of different businesses and different tax structures and different finances and different retirement accounts. There are some of us who are not anywhere in that realm, and we can fill out our tax form in, in April on one page with one item, and it's simplified. So it's not complexity versus simplicity. The opposite of simplicity is chaos, clutter, and confusion. We want to eliminate that. Sabbath rest, use of our time, and now possessions and things that often can clutter our lives. So how do we simplify? How do we find that freedom, that peace? The first step, the first thing that God has for us in his word is to simply trust him, to acknowledge that God owns it all, and we're here borrowing it from him. I want to give you the words of God. If you have a Bible or the Bible on a chair rack in front of you, I encourage you to look at this text. It's a great passage. The fifth book in the Bible, Deuteronomy. This is a book that Moses wrote. He wrote it to the Israelites when they're wandering in the wilderness. They're getting ready to go into the promised land as Joshua takes them into that promised land. And they're going to, be to a, they're going to begin acquiring things there. Throughout the wilderness walk, they have very little. And so this is their constitution. The, these are the principles by which God wants them to live, and we learn vicariously through them. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 11. Notice what God says to them. He says, Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God 
by not keeping his commandments and his ordinances and his statutes which I am commanding you today. Otherwise, when you have eaten and are satisfied, and here he promises them, you have built good houses and lived in them. When your herds and your flocks multiply, your silver and gold multiply, and all that you have multiplies, as I know, you're going to the promised land. You don't have anything now. You're just getting started, and some of us are just getting started. College, first job, or just in the apartment. We'd love to have a home someday. Just getting started, and God says, this is what I want you to know. When you begin to acquire the home and the flocks and the herds and the silver and the gold, and it begins to multiply, he says in verse 14, then your heart will become proud. And you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out from the land of Egypt and out of the house of slavery. God's warning to us, to me, is that no matter how much you have acquired in terms of gold, silver, I don't have very many flocks or herds, but whatever the things I have that I own, that I do not forget the Lord God. Why should I not forget him? He says to them in verse 15, He led them through the great and terrible wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there was no water. He brought water for you out of the rock of the flint and in the wilderness. He fed you with manna which came from heaven that your fathers did not know that he might humble you and that he might test you to do good for you in the end. So he says, remember as you walked in the wilderness how I brought water from the rock and I held manna from heaven? I provided for you. Don't forget that. And then he says this in verse 17. Otherwise, you may say in your heart, my power and the strength of my hand made me this wealth. I'm a self-made man. I did this on my own. God says, I warn you, as you acquire things, you will be tempted to say to yourself, I have done these things. This is the work of my hands that have caused this to happen. But then he says in verse 18, but you shall remember the Lord. You shall remember the Lord your God. And I put this on the screen, this one phrase that comes out of verse 18. But you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who has given you the power to make wealth. It is God who is doing these things. And wherever you are at in sort of the economic status and possessions of life, God is the one that you trust. God is the one that gives you what you have. And whenever we forget that and we go into this proud thing, then we are in dangerous grounds. And I say this, that I trust God, but it's still hard to look into the future. I just think back in our own lives, Joy and me, my wife and I. When we were in Dallas Seminary, Joy was teaching at Trinity Christian Academy in Richardson, Texas. And it was a very wealthy area at that time. Tom Landry's daughter went to the school. and I'm dating myself, Tom Landry, one of the great cowboy coaches, Dallas Cowboys. And she would make $6,000 a year. We lived in an apartment that was about 80 years old. I've referenced it before. And we paid, I think it was $95.90 a month for that apartment. And all we had was a dresser and a bed. That's the sum total of all we had. Thought, well, how are we going to live? And we had one car. And she would drive that to work, and I'd have to walk to school. And a car was a Vega. So it almost didn't even count as, as a full car. It was... <laughs> His handicapped car. And, and I thought, well, we're just going to eke our way through. And somehow God provided for us. 
God provided tuition from unexpected sources. For example, Eastern Star. Anybody ever heard of the Eastern Star? It, it's the uh, opposite side. It's the women's side of, of the Masons. They helped pay for my tuition. Eastern Star, look it up. You'll be amazed. God brought funding in. And then when we came to our first home in Corona, we lived in Corona for 10 years and pastored a church there. And how are we ever going to find a place to live? How can we afford it? Because the church was not paying us anything of substance. We were below poverty both at Dallas and then in Corona. We are below poverty. In fact, they had lectures in Dallas that showed us how to collect food through food stamps because they knew we were so poor. We got to, doubt, to Corona and a man in our church in Corona says, Dave, I've got a rental and I want to give it to you at a great discount. Whatever you can afford, I want to sell it to you at that. And he did. That got us our first home. And we had one car, and so I'd take it, and Joy would be home, and she had to work because we had to have two incomes to survive on that home that cost us $40,000. $40,000. That's hardly a down payment today. It's, that's how old I am. I'm sorry. I can't help it. I keep getting older every year. Um, and then a family in our church knew that I was taking a car and Joy didn't have a car and so they said you know we've got an extra car sitting in our driveway we want to give it to you and so they gave it to us so we had two cars and it was a Datsun 510 and I, I love that Datsun 510 it was a beater no question about it but I drove that car for 10 years everywhere I go I was driving the Datsun 510 a little turquoise car I wish I still had it today and I look back and I see those simple little things that I never thought could be that God said yes to and God says Dave I have the power to give you wealth you walk with me I'll provide for you and he has and here it is all these many many years later that was back in 1977 and God still does it I look into the future and I say oh God but will you do it for the next 10 or 20 years and God says but don't you look back at the last 60 years and see my hand you think I'm going to drop you now? No way. And so I want you to think for just a moment. That's how God has blessed us in the beginning of some of the things where some of you are at this day. How has God blessed you? How has God provided for you already? How he has given evidence of his hand to provide for you whatever your needs are that he surprises, he blesses, he faithfully gives. Would you discuss that with those that are sitting around? If you have to get up and go to somebody, go to them. Give them your name, introduce yourselves if you don't know each other, but you just talk a little bit. How is God already blessing you and providing for you, showing his faithfulness to you? Talk about it.
Okay, all right. 15 seconds, let's wrap it up. You probably could spend the next hour talking about it. I hope it's encouraging as you begin to think, you know what, God is doing something. I just have to stop and think about it, remember it, reflect on it. So much of the Old Testament, you read the Old Testament, like take Psalm 78. There's so many of these Psalms and even referenced it in Deuteronomy where God constantly reminds the Israelites, I have done this, this, and this. One of the repeated, repeated stories, I parted the Red Sea. I parted the Jordan River. I gave to you manna from heaven. God has to constantly remind me that I have taken care of you, Dave, and I'm not going to let you go now. I hope that as we remember to trust God, we constantly see his fingerprints over the wealth and I say wealth, it sounds like a lot. Whatever the wealth happens to be, whatever the possessions, that God has done that. So the first thing to simplify is to trust God and know that he is the one who does these things. I manage it for him. Secondly, to simplify, I learn how to be content. I learn how to be content. Don't seek to have more things. Be content now. And it's a hard thing because every commercial, every internet website that I go on, every thing that I look, whether on the net or the TV or the radio, is constantly telling me I'm inadequate until I buy their stuff. So there's a constant bombardment for you and me to be malcontents. And so I need to learn how to be content. Now this last week, we had a Powerball of $1.5 billion dollars. How many of you lost money on the Powerball? Okay, congratulations to you. Way to go. You'll never get that two bucks back. Mark Cuban, the owner of the Dallas Mavericks, said, if you weren't happy yesterday, you won't be happy tomorrow. It's money. It's not happiness. So we think that if only I get that, then I will be content. If only I won the phone, I'm telling you, if you won the $1.5 billion, you would be stressed out of your mind right now because you're thinking, how do I manage, what if people find out it's me, what do I do about that? But wouldn't that be sort of delicious to be that person, though, for just a little bit? Because <laughs> we still think, but I'm different. It'll be different for me. Let me show you one of the Powerball winners of the Old Testament. His name is Solomon. I'm going to read from the Ecclesiastes. Solomon wrote this. Solomon wrote this, and he was the wisest, richest man in the world. So it's like he won the Powerball. Well, it was God who threw the dice. In Ecclesiastes 2, it's right in the middle of your Bible if you want to read it there, but let me read. In Ecclesiastes 2, he is wise, he is wealthy. He says this, I explored with my mind how to stimulate my body with wine while my mind was guiding me wisely and how to take hold of it of folly until I could see what good there is in the sons of men to do unto the sun the few years of their lives. And this is what Solomon did. This is the danger of the lack of contentment. He says, I enlarged my works. I built houses for myself. One was not enough. Why not? If one is good, two is better, three is more, better than that. I planted vineyards for myself. 
I made gardens and parks for myself. I have planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. So he's got multiple houses, parks, and fruit trees. He's growing this forest of fruit. What do fruit trees need? Water. So he says in verse 6, I made ponds of water for myself in which to irrigate the forest of growing trees. So one thing leads to the next. So if you've got all these trees, you've got water, somebody's got to manage, somebody's got to take care of that. So he says in verse 7, so I bought male and female slaves, and I had home-born slaves. So I've now got all these people to take care of the property that I wanted to enlarge my works with. It just continues to grow as the demand increases. So now he's got all these people, these slaves, these male and female slaves. So somebody's got to feed them. So it says, so I possess flocks and herds larger than all that preceded me in Jerusalem. So now i got to get somebody to manage the flocks that takes care of the people, that takes care of the fruit trees, that keeps the house clean. And so what did he do? So I had to collect for myself silver and gold out of the treasures of the kings of provinces. I needed money to be able to sustain the slaves who took care of the herds and the flocks, who managed the, the uh, uh, fruit on the trees and keeps the houses clean. So I needed to tax people. I prided for myself male and female singers and the pleasures of men, many concubines. And now I had to provide entertainment for the people who take care of the, the ponds and the trees and the houses. And it just continues to expand as the lack of contentment creates this complexity of life where there's confusion and chaos. And God says, my goodness, Solomon, what are you doing? Do you think you have more things? You'll get life, will get better. Then he says this conclusion. Put it on the screen so we can all see it together. Solomon says, Thus I considered all my activities which my hands had done and the labor which I exerted. And behold, all was vanity, striving after wind. There was no profit under the sun. I had so much, and it didn't satisfy. That's why he wrote a little couple pages over in Ecclesiastes 5.10. He says, He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves abundance with its income. This too is vanity. Those who love possessions and things and money are never satisfied. Learning to be content. Here's some questions to ask before you buy. Now I don't think you have to ask this if you're going to buy Cheerios at Albertsons. But there may be other things for which these questions could apply. Before you ask, do I really need it? Do I really need it? Would my life be just fine without it? Can I afford it? Could I borrow it? My philosophy is, if you want a cabin in Big Bear, get a friend that has a cabin in Big Bear. <laughs> if you want a boat, get a friend that's got a boat. I mean, why should I have to spend money on it when I can just get a friend for free? <laughs> I've lived that way all my life. <laughs> How long will it last? What will it cost me over a lifetime? Now, we live in the home that we live in right now for 20 years. There were two things that I wanted in this home. I wanted a three-car garage, and I wanted a swimming pool. And I'm here to tell you that I wished I'd asked myself, how, what will it cost me over a lifetime before I bought a home with a pool? 
I can't tell you how much money I've spent on that pool of chlorine, three pumps, two filters, and countless hours of frustration every time there's a Santa Ana wind. And it is literally filled with leads. It's aggravating. I'll sit there at the kitchen, I'll look out there as I'm fixing coffee, and I'll look at that pool, and I'll say to it, curse you. You are sucking me dry. And now I look at the plaster, and it has to be replaced. I have to replace the plaster in the pool that I never use. Oh, sorry. I'm sorry. I'm just sort of venting right now. How many hours do you need to... These are questions that need to be gone over because when I'm not content, I tend to go into debt. So trust God, be content, eliminate debt, eliminate debt. The rich rules over the poor, the borrower becomes the lender's slave. Indebtedness, whether American Express, MasterCard, those bills become my master. They become the controlling influence in my life. When I started here at Calvary 20 years ago, the, the man that was the Michael Wells, the, the finance guy when I came, was Bill Booker. He was a godly, wonderful man, and his family is still here. We praise God for them. But I remember Bill sat me down, and Bill gave me the talk. He says, Dave, there's one thing you've got to understand. I said, what's that, Bill? We have a $10 million debt on this worship center, and we're paying off those bonds. And I want you to understand something, that at the end of the month, whatever money we have, we pay those bonds first. And if there's anything left over after that, you'll get a paycheck. But the bonds come first. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for the talk. Now I know where I stand. But it made me realize once again that debt is king. Debt controls. Debt is the master. And I am my debt's slave. Because somehow, someway, it's got to be paid back. So I like this quote. Nathan Morris said, Every time you borrow money, you're robbing your future self. Because if I can't afford it today, why would I think I can afford it next year? Indebtedness complicates life. You need to simplify your possessions and finances to find new margin, new freedom. And indebtedness is not just finances. Indebtedness, my debt is not so much in finances. My debt is in things. Clutter. It kinks my hose. I am the king of of clutter, and I need to simplify. For example, so I brought here some things. This, these are just symbolic confessions of mine to you. I have an auga horn here. I have had this for 40 years sitting in a shelf. I had it on my car. I had a Vega, remember? I put it on that Vega, and I took it off when I sold the Vega, and I've kept it ever since, and I, for the life of me, have no, no understanding why. Why do I still have this auga horn? And I didn't know I had this until I was looking through the garage this last week, and oh yeah, I forgot about that thing. And there it sits rusting away. I'm giving these things away, by the way. <laughs> I have uh, other things like this uh, toolbox. I've got, th I've got three of these in my house. 
I don't need three of these. I don't have that many tools. And it's got tools in it. I'm giving it away. I've got a uh, sprayer. I've got three of these. Why do you need three of these? I don't know. But it's even got a little bit of Roundup in there, and I'll throw that in for free. I've got uh, this box has been sitting in my garage for 10 years. There's, no, there's nothing in it. It's just a box. I bought, uh, I bought this at Costco, and I thought, well, someday that faucet's going to not work, and I'll need the box to take it back to Costco. Ten years ago. I don't know whether they take it back now. So it's been sitting in my garage for 10 years. Why? What, what's wrong with me? So these are crazy things. And uh, people give me things, and I, I don't mind that. But somebody gave me an Obama, Osama bin Laden mask. And I've had this for about 15 years in my, in my office upstairs in the upper room. Osama bin Laden mask. Why do I need an Osama bin Laden mask? And why for 15 years have I let it sit in my office? I'm, I'm willing to let go of it. If you've been wanting one of those, this is your lucky day. I'm giving away this drill because I've got other drills. How many drills does a guy need? And it works, 19 and a half volts with a charger and a battery that works. I'm giving it away today. There's no warranty. There's no warranty. Don't come complain to me if it doesn't work. I've got, uh, I went through my uh, office and I found these videotapes. It's the Habits of Highly Effective Churches. Uh, I've never seen it, but I'm, I probably should have. And just, you can probably look around and say, yeah, Dave, obviously you've never seen it. But I've got these videotapes, and I've got these uh, cassette tapes as well, George Barner. They're, they're very good, but I, I don't have a video player and I don't have a cassette player, but I still hang on to them. If you have a video player and you'd like to learn how to be an effective church, listen to this and give me some notes, okay? So these, these things, I've got... Uh, more motorcycle helmets. I only have one head, but uh, I've got uh, multiple motorcycle helmets. And uh, if you would like to have a motorcycle helmet, I'm willing to give you one of these. But if you have a motorcycle, you are insane. You shouldn't be riding a motorcycle. They're death machines. And I ride one. So if you like a motorcycle helmet, you're welcome to have it. Harold Stevens wanted one of these to ride on his bicycle. I said, Harold, I don't think so. And then, uh, it's interesting, things that you keep that you don't know what to do with, you don't know how to get rid of it, but this has been sitting in my office for 15 years. And uh, I'm not sure why I have kept that. I had forgotten about it, I'm telling you, I'm, I'm honest. This week I was going through, what, what are the clutter things in my, in my office? And I, oh, wait, what's this? Oh, my goodness. That was something we did for missions like 15 years ago. It was some clever thing. Remember late night with uh, Dave um, Letterman. It was late night with Dave Mitchell. And there I am. But I'm willing to, to give this to you if you promise to <laughs> hang it in your living room. So you got these things, and I won't make you have to look at it. I forgot about this. I had this... Uh, earlier, if you'd like to 
I've had this sitting in my office uh, for the last 20 years. It's a uh, tripod for your camera. I don't have a camera, <laughs> and uh, I never use it, but I've got one. If you'd like a tripod for the camera that you don't have, you're welcome to have that as well. So we got these things that we collect, and I'm just saying, these are samples. I could spend the, all day today showing you the clutter of my garage and my office. I've got piles and piles of paper. I, some people file, I pile. And so these are things that just draw. And so what God is saying to me and he's saying to us is that we learn to simplify. How do I simplify those things? I give them away. I trust God. I learn to be content. I eliminate debt. I eliminate clutter. And I just give it away. I'm not going to worry about Craigslist and all these other things. I just want to give it away to the Lord's work. Notice what Matthew says. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. <clears throat> How I use my funds reveals my heart. You don't reveal your priorities to God by looking at your schedule. He didn't talk about it there. You reveal your priorities to God by looking at your bank statement and where my money goes. And the thing that happens is that we sometimes acquire things when we should be giving them away. I've got two of my old suits here. I used to wear these on Sunday morning. This is one of them. And I'd forgotten about this, but it'd been hanging in a closet for uh, this suit we had made in Hong Kong where a guy would come to a motel room and we'd go to the motel room and he'd show us the fabrics and he'd size me up and then he'd make it and, and ship it from Hong Kong. And this is made, and I've had this suit since 1986. The date's inside of it, 1986. And I'm thinking to myself, why do I have these suits? Because when I try to wear them, they don't fit. But I keep thinking, oh, I can't even button it. I'm obese. Okay, I'm a confessor. I am obese. Kaiser has told me I'm obese. You want to know what obese looks like? Right here. And so I'm thinking, well, someday, you know, someday I'll be able to fit in this. When Kirstie got married, I thought, why can't I just wear this? Why do I have to get another suit? Wouldn't this be fine for a wedding? And so I have hold, held this thinking I need to do something with it. And then as Joy looked at it, she pointed something out. Right down here, just discovered this last week, moths are starting to eat this suit coat. Same on that one as well. Moths are, and we thought, you know, someday we should give this to somebody that really needs it. So, but we kept on hanging on to it only to have the moths eat it. And then she reminded me, Jesus said, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy. What are we holding on to that's just eroding away? of things and finances that God says, release them, give them away. So if you'd like to have a, a nice coat, custom made, just a couple of spots where the moths have eaten it, it's yours, free of charge. Here's what I love about giving things and money away. It decreases its power over us. Proverbs says, there is one who scatters and yet increases all the more, and there is one who withholds what is justly due, yet it results only in want. Underlined portion, one who withholds what is justly due, and yet it results only in want. 
What the proverb is saying is that as I hold back, my want increases. By giving something away, I decrease its power over me. I am freed up. As my life is simplified by generosity to the Lord, I am freed up from those things. I don't need suits. I don't need these things. And the more I give them the way, the less power they have over me. And God says, I want you to live that, that way. Here's what Epictetus said. Wealth consists not in having great possessions, but in having few wants. And as I give them away, my wants decrease, Proverbs 11. Matthew, or Malachi, I should say, says this. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house and test me now in this. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing until it overflows. I believe that God has called us to be people of generosity where we give away that which controls my life where I eliminate debt so debt doesn't control my life, where I learn to be content so things don't constantly make me feel inadequate, where I trust God that he will provide. He says, test me in this. Test me in this. And bring your 10% to the Lord. 10%. Your tithe. In those days, it would have been produce and animals. For us, it's currency as we know it today but bring your 10%. And I had someone stop me in the lobby, he says that after first hour, is that 10% of your gross or your net? And I've had that question a number of times. And I said, well, when Malachi said this, it was 10% of the gross because they didn't have any income tax in those days to speak of. They had 30% pies that they had to give. So it's 10% of the gross. I said, you know, I read about one person that didn't have enough, and you know what she did? She stopped going to Starbucks, and she discovered that's $1,200 a year that she spends at Starbucks. And this woman that I was talking to says, oh, I go to Starbucks every day. And I hope, let me be delicate. (laughs) For me, if I was giving more to Starbucks than the Lord's work, I say, God, make me guilty. I said, my goal is not to make you guilty, but God, put it on me. You know, I was reading this text, test me in this. In December, I put out a challenge because we're always behind in December as a church. I said, would you be willing to make an extra gift, a double gift of December of what your ordinary monthly gifts would be? And many of you stepped up and were so thankful. And I was thinking to myself, Dave... I told the church they asked them if they would be willing to do that. And I said, you know, God, here's my conversation. God, this is in December, a couple weeks ago. God, I don't think I need to do that because I've given faithfully from January to December. I don't wait till December and sort of surprise the church with a big gift. I try to do it faithfully throughout the year so we're sort of spread out. So I don't know if I need to because I've been pretty faithful to you. And I was sitting in my office on December the 30th, I think it was. And God says, Dave, no, it's you too. And I did. Went online, did a little online gift. Not a little one, more than that. Because I wanted to live up to 
what I believe God would have me to do. And I want to tell you something that happened. And I say this with great hesitation because I don't want anybody to give out a greed. Because I didn't give out a greed. I gave out just, Lord, okay, obedience. The next day, I got a check in the mail from an investment that I had long forgotten about. Had no anticipation or expectation. And that check that came the day after I gave a year-end bigger gift was twice as much is the gift I gave to the church. Now, I'm not saying that so you can give today, so tomorrow you can get twice as much back. That's greed. That's called greed. I want us to give in obedience to God because as I give away, I lessen the power of things in my life. Finances. Simplify. Here's a video that helps to drive it home a little bit. John Sherman, one of our wonderful pastors here, been a long, long time. He's got a story to tell of God's simplifying in his life. So take a look and listen. And so I told the Lord early on, I said, if you will allow my wife and I to have a home, uh, we will make sure it remains yours. And so we had the opportunity through some miracles to buy a house. We began to pray and I investigated that verse, Philippians 4.19. And that verse talks about that God promises to supply my needs it doesn't say my wants. As we began to pray and look, I ran across my dream house in Santa Ana, an old house that now is 130 years old. And we've been here 35 years. And it was just a miraculous story how the Lord opened that up for us. We ultimately move here to the house. Our children come along. We're blessed with four children who love the Lord. And it's been the perfect house for our family and ministry over the years. In 2008, our family, every three years, has a, a tradition that we go to Cannon Beach. And it's a chance for our family members to come to hear God's word, to have fellowship. It's a wonderful uh, tradition we have. And at that uh, particular retreat, a, a speaker was speaking, and God spoke to me about, John, it's time to simplify. Uh, if you know me, I have uh, the ability to collect. It's a spiritual gift, can't find the verse, but I have the gift. And yet I recognized that uh, the time had come to begin to um, simplify my life. And so I, I had no doubt and I began immediately to do that. Uh, again, I have to do it my way. And as I prayed for what God would have me to do, I was making clear progress. But in 2009, it was Sunday night, February 15th. Uh, I get ready to go to church. I have a daughter who's a school teacher. She says, Dad, start me a fire while I'm grading papers. So I start the fire and I leave the house. When I actually get to the church on Sunday night service, I get a, a note, John, call home, there's an emergency. And uh, I said, what was it? And they said, your house is on fire. So we left the Sunday night service and came home. And to our shock, we found 15 fire trucks and 52 firemen fighting a valiant fire at our house. My wife and I spent... Uh, six hours across the street just watching. And uh, as we watched, uh, we just had thousands of mental pictures coming through our house. But to our surprise, we're standing here watching the house burning, saying, what is God doing? We never doubted for one minute that the house belonged to the Lord. We never doubted the fact that he had something miraculous again to do in our life. As we began to pick up the pieces after the fire, um, my family in different ways shared with me, uh, Dad, we think God is thrilled with the fact that you're simplifying your life. 
but we think in retrospect, now that the house has, has burned down, that possibly you weren't moving fast enough. And so we've laughed about that because we think God has a great sense of humor. Once the fire was over, and as we began to pray, where in the world do we go? And as we look back at Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, it reminds us again that if we don't know where we're going, He will direct our steps. And He did in a remarkable way. That as we trusted Him and we spoke about Him on a regular basis with whoever we talked about, and thank God for the house we'd had and for the future house He might choose to give us again, we were just shocked at the opportunities we had to share Christ, not only with um, people involved in the rebuilding process, but our neighbors. Uh, many people have watched and observed us. We've been here 35 years, and uh, we've had countless opportunities to share Christ with them. And when it's all said and done, uh, nobody wants to go through a difficult time. But when you can look back and see that God used that, um, He has a right to do anything in my life, whether it's my house or with my family, and we thank God for what He has done. Yeah, and they've rebuilt that home. It's beautiful. Two years, I think it was, to rebuild that. Their faithfulness to the Lord. And, and I want to challenge you. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. That's where it began. It's trusting God. It's trusting God. And I'm thankful for the years that I've had to sort of learn this and sometimes learn it the hard way. And some of you are just starting out, as I said. And I want to encourage you to begin to build healthy habits of a simplified life. Because as Moses said, you will begin to acquire and you may be tempted to forget God the one who has the power to produce wealth. So I encourage you to journal on that. We have some journals on page 11 of this. Opportunities to interact in your own heart and your own mind. I'm going to give you a couple of minutes just to begin to read through that, understand what some of the questions are. Maybe this even this one for me, I know on verse 12, um, verse 12 page 12, how does debt hurt your life? Uh, just learning how to eliminate those things that clutter up the simplified life of things and possessions. So let me encourage you, spend a couple of moments. Would you looking at that? And I'll come back up and we'll pray and continue to worship the Lord.
as you wrap up, I encourage you to spend more time. This is such an important topic. The Lord says it's a measurement of where my heart is at. It's not something we're asking from you. It's something that we're saying, here's what God says. How do we respond? I had a younger couple, first hour, that stopped me as I was walking out. I said, we really needed that reminder. Our giving is sporadic, but we need to be faithful. But we could never do 10%. I said, okay. We're going to start at 1% and begin to grow from there. I said, God bless you. It's great. None of us are going to be like Jesus tomorrow. None of us are going to be holy, perfect tomorrow. But we all take steps towards that. So however God is working, as we simplify, bottom line, trust God. Trust Him and never let the things of this world erode away that faith in His blessing in your life. We're going to worship. The communion is here, the bread and the cup. It symbolizes the body and the blood of Jesus. It's purely symbolism to say, yes, Lord, you have died for me and I have received your forgiveness. As you take those elements, the offering baskets are there for my opportunity to say, God, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust you. And let's worship together. Let me pray. Help us, Father, as we now go before you and sing your praises and honor you out of our lives. God, whether communion, whether giving, whether praise from the lips, a sacrifice of the heart, God, whatever that may be, help us to worship you well. That you are the God who runs this world, controls this world, and all that is within it is yours. Lord, may we see you as the one that we should trust the most. And we thank you for it as we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.